Connection Unpacked, where we discuss the pull of the past every week. I'm your host, Allison Treat. I'm an author of historical fiction and a freelance editor. Welcome to my show. Hello, readers, and thanks for tuning in to the podcast. I'm excited to share with you guys my second interview with Kimberly Duffy. I had her on the podcast last year. I think the very beginning of December in 2020, we talked about her first book, A Mosaic of Wings, and then her second book released in March, um, A Tapestry of Light. And now her third book is releasing on Tuesday. So I'm finally releasing an episode with Kimberly Duffy right around her book's release. This new book is called Every Word Unsaid, and I read it and loved it, as I just love all of Kim's books. If you'd like to hear my interview with Kim about her first book, I will link to it in the show notes so you can get to it easily. Um, Also, I should warn you that I, I am a slow talker. Kimberly is a fast talker. So Kim talks about three times as fast as I am. So you know how you can like speed up or slow down the speed of the podcast in your podcatcher app, well, that won't work very well for us because we just talk at different speeds. So just leave your setting on normal speed and enjoy the conversation. Kim, I'm so happy you could join me on the show today. Yeah, I'm excited to be here again. I just want listeners to know that this podcast actually spawned a friendship between us. Mm -hmm. We've been in touch a little bit since I had you on the show last year. You've talked to me a couple times about um, career advice and then I started reading the Bible in a year with you in January, a, a group that you put together. Um, and then this past summer, you brought your whole family to visit my family, which was so much fun. It was I'm, a lot of fun. Yeah. And I failed the Bible in a year thing, but I didn't fail the <laughs> friendship. <laughs> so at yeah. Out of it. At least you tried. I think that yeah, I did. <laughs> a few years ago, I, I tried to read the Bible in a year and it took me two years. So yeah, <laughs> this year I'm, sticking with it mostly. But anyway, I'm so glad we got to meet in person. It was great. I am too. I feel like our family has really clicked. Yeah, definitely. But let's talk about your books now. Your third novel, um, Every Word Unsaid, releases November 2nd. Can you tell me about this book? Yeah, it's about a character named Augusta Travers, um, Gussie for short. And she is a little bit of a wild child. Um, <laughs> she is adventurous and kind of bucking against conventions. She, she, um, her family is very wealthy and kind of higher up in the social strata. And her parents basically just want her to marry well. And that's like, she wants more from life than that. Right. And she feels stifled. Like she feels trapped within these conventions. And mm-hmm. so she, um, she somehow stumbles into a career as a kind of early prototype travel blogger. So she works for a magazine, a women's magazine, and she travels around the country. She's a photographer and then she writes. So she writes about her experiences and her adventures and she does it all under a pseudonym. Nobody knows who she is because her parents are just completely aghast by this development in her career. And she, you know, she works under a pseudonym so that it doesn't hurt her family in any way. Um, so she travels around and she ends up getting herself into a bit of a predicament, which happens a lot with her. And she ends up having to leave and she heads to India to visit friends, but also for her work, she's going to travel around that country and take photographs and write about her adventures in India. Yeah. Um, so what was your inspiration for this novel? Um, well, you know, my first two books are set at least partially in India as well. One is set yes. in Kodakanal, which is a hill station. The other is set in Kolkata. 
um, which is my very favorite Indian city. But I knew this was going to be probably my, la- my last book for a while set in India. And so I want to show a little bit more of the country, especially the north of the country mm-hmm. and a little bit of the south. And so I thought, what could my character do that would give her the opportunity to travel kind of all over and not stay in one place? And I'm really interested. Well, my daughter was really interested at the time I was developing the idea. She's really interested in photography and she just bought her first like really fancy camera. And so I was Mm -hmm. studying a little bit the history of women in photography. And honestly, it gave women kind of a voice, you know, like there was, um, there were, especially when Kodak came out with their folding pocket camera. So they didn't have to lug around a bunch of equipment. You know, it gave women the opportunity to, you know, record their everyday life and it gave them an Mm -hmm. opportunity to kind of speak out about their experiences. And so I just found that a really fascinating sort of way to give Gussie a voice. Yeah, that's cool. Um, so I'm reading every word unsaid right now, and I love it. Uh, I've, re- I've read every one of your books so far, and you know I'm a big fan. So I, I was really excited to see that Nora from your first book mm-hmm. made kind of an offstage appearance in this novel. Yeah, <laughs> so that was I was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I love. What yeah, I, I I didn't plan that, and I just thought. I thought it would be a fun thing to do. So I put a little Easter egg in there for my readers. Yeah, that's cool. Um, so you you include at least one real person as a character in this book. Um, I don't know if I'm saying her name correctly, but um, Pandita Ramabai, is that? Yeah, Pandita Ramabai okay. Saraswati. Okay. She was a pioneer in the education and emancipation of women in India. Yeah. So can you tell me a little bit about her and how you decided to include her in this novel? Sure. Um, so I'm, I'm really interested in researching kind of like early feminists, especially from a Christian perspective. Mm-hmm. And I mean, most of the early feminists were Christians. So, yeah. um, and I, I've always loved the story of Pandita Ramabai. Um, she was born a Hindu and um, she garnered a lot of respect for her memorization and recitation of the um, scriptures, Hindu scriptures. And she mm-hmm. was given the honorific of Pandita, which I think it means something like honored teacher or something like that. Um, I had to have to look back at my notes to find the exact phrasing. But she traveled around. She had a, there was a lot of pain in her history. She lost her parents. She traveled around with her brother to try to um, make money and feed herself. And she ended up um, becoming a Christian. And she, at the time, widows were treated pretty poorly in India. Um, really, to a certain extent, they still are not not like they were in the 19th century, but. Uh, they're kind of considered second-class citizens. Things are changing um, and have been for a while. But at the time, they were treated pretty horribly. And she um, started a school for widows and worked toward um, kind of like establishing their worth and value. And a lot of them were trained in nursing. And then she also, there was a, a famine and a lot of children were orphaned. And she went around and she basically collected these children in a wagon and I mean, hundreds of them and started a home out in the country outside of Pune and took care of these children. Wow. She was pretty incredible. Yeah. And you get, that definitely comes through in the book too. Um, so you mentioned how widows are treated horribly at that time. Um, so one of the other characters in this book, Bimla is a widow Mm -hmm. and the tales of her, abuse are just awful. I take it this kind of mistreatment was common at that time. Yes. Um, and can you speak more about that at all? Yeah. Um, until, I mean, I think it was maybe 20 or 30 years before my book is set, widows weren't even legally allowed to remarry. 
they were mm. considered at fault for their husband's death. So there was something called sati, which is when the widow would throw herself on her husband's funeral pyre and basically mm-hmm. humiliate herself to death. Um, that was illegalized a, a while before this, but it still happened, especially in the royal er- rural areas. Um, they weren't allowed to wear color. They had to wear white. Um, they weren't allowed to wear jewelry. They uh, couldn't eat with family members. They were often abused. And remember, at the time, a, a woman would leave her family and go live with her husband's family. So she was living with her husband's parents for the most part. Um, and oftentimes they weren't kind to her, even when her husband was alive. So mm-hmm. at this time they would think, you know, she's responsible for my son's death. And they were just really viciously abused. And I don't want to say like blanket, make a blanket statement where it happened in every single situation. It didn't, you know, I'm sure there are situations where that didn't happen, but it was prevalent. This type of, abuse. yeah. yeah. Um, so how did this character of Bim, I almost felt like she was a real person as I'm reading about her. Um, how did she take shape in your head? Is she based on a real person or is this something that you, you just got the idea for her during your research? Um, she's not based on a real person, although she's um, her descriptions and what she looks like is influenced by a real person, by a sweet friend of mine um, who actually works as my, she doesn't even know this, but she has, she's my <laughs> uh, sensitivity reader. Her name, her name is Madhu. And she, Madhu is just, she's just this beautiful woman. She's very teeny tiny and has these quick movements and, She's just a beautiful soul. And so um, she was a little bit, her her um, physical appearance was a little bit influenced by Madhu. But she's not based on any one particular person. I just wanted to honor those women who, who struggled so much to validate themselves and find purpose after their husband's death. Yeah, of course. And that's a beautiful way to honor them. Um, so the title of Every Word Unsaid, it has a lot of meaning in it. Um, obviously, I think just the the theme of words is in here because obviously Gussie is a writer. So the importance of words to hear her is clear. But um, what else do you intend with this title? Oh my goodness, this title was such a bear. I can't even. <laughs> I'm really bad at titles. My publisher has not used any of them that I've come up with, which isn't, I mean, that's not really out of the ordinary, but I'm extra bad at titles. <laughs> so um, usually it's like a collaboration between me and my editor and between the two of us, we come up with something. And this one took a lot of back and forth. I mean, I think it took days to come up with this. And honestly, even when I figured it out, like even when we decided on it, I still wasn't completely happy with it. (laughs) I think it works though. I've now come to the conclusion that it's a good title for this book. It's a good fit. Um, (laughs) But it was so hard to name this book. I think because there's so many layers to the story and I wasn't sure which one to focus on. Yeah. Um, but I think, so yeah, the book is uh, uh, thematically about words and the words that are spoken over us and the words that we allow to define ourselves, um, either mm-hmm. our own words or other people's words. And like you said, Gussie is a writer, so words are really important to her. Um, and she's also kind of trailed by the words and perceptions of her family and who they think she is and who they've said she is. And she's kind of haunted by these, right? And she's allowed those to define for herself who she is and what she's capable of. And so I think we all have experiences where, you know, there's this saying sticks and stones will break your bones, words will never hurt me. But that's not entirely true. Like words can be extremely painful. And the Bible, you know, calls a tongue a two-edged sword. We can use it to heal and we can use it to destroy. And a lot of times Mm -hmm. I don't think we recognize how much they really destroy. Yes. So this is another theme that I think is really important in this book. Um, Gussie struggles to find purpose and meaning in her her work and in the words that she writes. 
I feel like a lot of what she's struggling with mm-hmm. is not only her the way that her family defines her, but also like she sees the work that right. um, Pandita Ramabai does. And right. then she's kind of comparing herself mm-hmm. and thinking like, I just write these fluff articles as the publisher told her mm-hmm. before she left home. Um, yeah. How did, how did that kind of rise to the surface as you wrote? Well, I think this is something that a lot of women struggle with. We try to find purpose and meaning in our work and we yeah. try to validate ourselves with the things that we do when really that, that validation shouldn't come from an external source. And it's nothing we do that makes us worthy of love <laughs> and existence, right? It's nothing we do. It's it's who, who we are and who we're rooted in. And so I just think it's a, kind of a universal thing that women just struggle with. We just, and I don't see this like, my husband doesn't find validation in his work. I mean, he works and he supports his family, but it doesn't define who he is. And mm-hmm. he knows that like, but I, like I always ask, I ask myself and I don't do so much anymore, but especially when, you know, I'm a stay at home mom or I was until I started writing. Um, but I always ask myself, like, is this enough? Is what I'm doing enough? You know? Mm-hmm. And if I didn't have children, would that be enough? And I feel like I'm constantly like trying to be more and strive for more when really at the end of the day, I'm enough because I'm saved by Christ, right? And because I'm created right. in God's image. Like I don't need anything external to to validate my existence. And so I just kind of wanted to to show Gussie really wrestling with that. And also, um, and I I struggle with this too. Like, am I making a mark on this world? Am I changing things? Like, is what I do, is it, is it like dust in the wind? Does it have a purpose? You know, <laughs> Like, I don't want to feel like that, but I do sometimes. I want to know that I'm, I'm doing things that, that will impact the future and change the world for people in a better way. Yes, absolutely. I think, I feel like for me, that's come to the forefront of my mind even more in the past year and a half um, since the mm-hmm. pandemic. I'm not, yeah, I just feel like it's almost like, okay, are these, are writing these stories really going right. to help anyone. <laughs> I know. And you know, there's, there's value in writing entertaining books, even if they, even if they don't have, you know, deeper themes, or even if they're not like super complex stories, like there's still value in entertaining people and giving them a good story to read, you know, and offering a respite from everyday life. Like there's value in that too. There's nothing wrong with doing those things. Right. I do think your books though, definitely have deeper, deeper meaning than just the, just the entertainment value because of these themes that you're talking about. I mean, that will minister to, I I mean, I struggle with the same thing that you're talking about. So obviously it's, it's something that people deal with is, mm-hmm. am I doing enough? Is my work, you know, am I, am I enough? Am I validated by this work that mm-hmm. I do when that's not what validates us at all? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I tried once, I tried writing a story that um, was just, it was just an enter- entertaining, fun story. And I had to keep, I'm in a Voxer group with a bunch of other writers. And I had to keep going onto the Voxer group because it's just a fun novella. I just wanted to write something fun, right? I didn't want to write yeah. anything like with super complex themes or anything, like just something fun, a fun little romance. And I kept going into my Voxer group and like saying like, can I do this? And my friends would be like, no, you can't do that, Kim. <laughs> Not if you want to do a fun, entertaining story. I'm like, okay, I'll backtrack. I won't do that. <laughs> oh, that's funny. So I know from talking with you and from reading your other two books that India has a special place in your heart. Yeah. Um, I want to read a passage from Every Word Unsaid. Okay. Actually, two two little snippets. 
America, with its youthful zeal and brazen thirst, whispered a sonnet to Gussie's heart, but India sang, her voice a thunderous roar, to the percussion of drums. And then later, you said, India felt like a homecoming. She belonged here, in this place as scattered and audacious and alive as she was. So I was just wondering, is that how you felt when you first went to India? Absolutely. And I don't know what it is about that country. I I mean, there's a history and a weightiness to it that we don't experience in ours. You know, I mean, like India is an old, Mm -hmm. old country, like as an ancient country and their history is so long. Um, There was a, a, yeah, there was something I said in a tapestry of light, something along the lines, like where my character was like, you know, India had Kings and Queens and, and was trading while like, you know, the Celts were picking berries (laughs) Which sounds a little insulting, but it's true. Like their history is just so long and and fascinating. And yeah, like I grew up in New York and I spent a little bit of time living in Eastern Pennsylvania. And then I went to India and it just something about it wrapped an embrace around me. And it felt like, it felt like a home to me. And, and then I came home and I moved to Ohio and even now, like it's, I haven't been, I mean, I went to India a couple of years ago for a few weeks, but before that I hadn't been there in like 18 years or something like that. And it just, I felt like it was always calling to me, like, come back, come back. And I have really sweet, sweet friends there whom I miss so much. But more than that, I just, I adore that country. I love being there. And I can't even tell you why, because I'm, I have OCD and I really struggle with things that are not organized and structured and like nothing there is organized and structured. So I don't know if it was God's grace or why, but I just love it. Wow. So I don't, when you were on the podcast before, um, we talked about your research and writing process and I'm just curious from, from one book to the next, does it, has it changed? Has your writing process, um, like morphed at all or your research, how you do research? Um, no, I mean, little things change. So sometimes I might like with every word and said, I kept track of my word count on a board. This time I'm just putting it on post-it notes on my wall. Like I'll change little things like that. But for the most part, I, I've experimented a lot. I think that like every word and said is my seventh novel, I think. So with each one, I kind of would do a different thing and I've landed on what works for me, you know, and I know Mm -hmm. that it works to plot. Um, with this book I did with every word and said, I did plot a third of the book and then I wrote it and then plotted another third and then wrote it and then plotted another third. And that seemed to work. That worked okay, but it wasn't my favorite. So with the book I'm working on now, I just plotted the whole book and I, I like that better. I like knowing where I'm headed. Honestly, every word and said was a really hard book to write. I started it. I started drafting two weeks before the shutdown and it, Anyone who wrote a book over COVID, like over those early days of COVID, like God yeah. bless you, because it was hard, so incredibly difficult to write this book. I I felt like I felt my, my I'm usually very focused, and I just felt like I couldn't focus on anything because it was such a frightening time. We didn't know what was going on, and then all my you know I homeschool, but a couple of my kids went to school, and all of a sudden they were home and. They're my kids who need a little bit more attention from me. And I just didn't know what to do with my schedule and when I was going to fit it in. And it was just a hard time to write a book. Yeah. I wonder if that varies based on the, um, well, the person and their situation. Like you have four kids at home. Mm-hmm. And then I think your husband was working from home too. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and then I talked to Patty Callahan and mm-hmm. she wrote a book 
during the shutdown. But it, oh, I was also thinking like your book was about every word and said is set during a plague. <laughs> so you're writing about a, a, a pandemic during a pandemic yeah. or, or an epidemic. And Patty Callahan's book, Once Upon a Wardrobe, she wrote that during the shutdown. And she found it as like her escape, but uh, she doesn't have kids at home. And she, the, the book was completely different from what's going on yeah. in the outside world. So that's yeah. interesting. Well, my entire schedule was just upended. Like you said, my husband was all of a sudden home from work. Um, his grandmother lives with us. So she was home because normally she goes to a senior center. So she was home. Yeah. And all my kids home and I have some younger kids and one in particular has special academic needs. And so mm-hmm. I was basically homeschooling her at that point. And yeah, there was, I mean, there was a lot vying for my attention. And like you said, this book is set during the bubonic plague, which was not an intention. I mean, it was intentional because I planned it. It was not intentional that I would write it during an actual like pandemic. <laughs> so I was writing and, you know, remember I plot all my books ahead of time. I knew this was going to happen. And so I'm writing these scenes and I'm like, and there's a lot of parallels between how people were treated in Pune during the bubonic plague and how people were being how they were trying to structure things here in the United States, you know, and nobody knew what was mm-hmm. going on. That's fine. But there were interesting parallels and comparisons. And I was writing these yeah. things and kind of freaking myself out. Cause I was like, what is going on? <laughs> I'm writing this book and then things are happening. I'm seeing it in the news that later that night. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's so weird. So you mentioned a couple times you're working on something now. Can you tell us about it? I can tell you. Yeah, I can tell you a little bit about it. I'll tell you a little bit more than I've told anyone else. Um, oh, I actually yay. haven't even announced this book contract. I'm, life is so incredibly busy right now. Um, yeah, so I signed a contract for another book with Bethany House. I'm super excited about this book. It is not set in India. It's set in New York, mainly New York City. And it's... Um, okay, I'll tell you guys, okay? It is about a circus strong woman. That's my oh. heroine. So it's a lot of fun. She is a very <laughs> unconventional character in certain ways. Um, one would be her job, <laughs> but she's very yeah. tall and she's very strong and very muscular. She's not like a very typical um, heroine. And mm-hmm. um, it's she's typical more in that she's not as maybe driven and strong-willed as my other characters, which is kind of a fun difference. Um, and I'm, I'm exploring that dichotomy between physical and internal strength and what femininity looks like. And it's a lot of fun. I'm having fun with the story. I'm, I'm just at about the halfway point in the draft. Okay, great. That sounds so interesting. Um, I know in the past you were working on, or you have already written books about Nora's friends from mm-hmm. a mosaic of wings. Right. Or is anything going to happen with those books that you know of or don't you know yet? Um, I don't, I don't know. I, one book, so Rose's book is already written. Um, right. If I'm not contracted to publish that with a publisher, I will likely self-publish it one day. Well, mm-hmm. definitely. I will definitely self-publish that book one day if I don't find a publisher for it. Um, Bitsy's story is planned and plotted. It's not right. written, but I feel as though I could easily write it because I have the entire story, you know, plotted and planned out. Um, so yeah, I, I'll do something with that one day. I can't say when that will be. It just depends on, you know, contracts and deadlines and that type of thing. But I will definitely do something with those stories one day. Right. Great. Well, this is a question I ask all my guests. And I did ask you this question last year, but maybe your answer has changed. Um, 
How do you think learning about history through story helps us approach life in the present? I don't know. I don't remember what my answer was, but I don't think my answer has changed because I've always felt this way about, (laughs) about reading and writing about history and learning about history. I think it's hugely important mainly because I don't believe a lot about human nature changes and meaning like what we want and need now is the same thing that people wanted and needed a hundred years ago or 200 or 500 years ago. And so I feel as though we can learn a lot about um, people's desires and how they went about attaining those and people's needs and how they went about, you know, ensuring that those were met Um, and, you know, interacting with the culture and politics and um, society around them and how that interplay works. And so I think by examining history and learning about it, we can learn and discover a lot about ourselves because I really don't think fundamentally a whole lot changes. Mm, Yeah. So Kim, this has been a wonderful conversation. What is the best way for listeners to follow you? Um, I'm mainly active on Instagram under author Kimberly Duffy. I do have a Facebook page, but I'm, I'm not real active on it. Honestly, I don't get a whole lot of like engagement and people don't see my posts. So I get frustrated with it and just go back to Instagram. (laughs) Um, You can also find me at www.kimberlyduffy.com and you'll find a whole bunch of links um, to all my social media pages and my newsletter and um, mm-hmm. there's some goodies for Mosaic of Wings. I have to get up a reader packet up for Tapestry of Light. It's already put together. I just haven't put it on my website because that's my husband's job. So he hasn't put it on my <laughs> website yet. Great. So thank you so much for being with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's always fun. Well, friends, it's always fun to talk to Kim Duffy, and I hope you had fun listening. I have a few favors to ask of you if you're enjoying this podcast. And I'm going to say some things that are different from what I've said before. So don't tune out now or fast forward or anything, because of course, the normal things, I need you to subscribe to the podcast if you're enjoying it so that you get it every week. And then if you haven't already, please leave a review or um, a star rating on Apple iTunes. Also, if you're on Facebook, you can join the Facebook group where we talk about the podcast every week. And you guys, here is why you need to join the Facebook group. I ask the Facebook group for feedback. You guys in the Facebook group, you tell me what you like about the show and what you don't like about the show. And also you're gonna give me some insight regarding what to offer patrons on Patreon. So I haven't mentioned for the past few episodes, I really want to make the Patreon page exactly what you need it to be. So if you're enjoying this podcast and you could hop on over to the Patreon page, which is just patreon.com slash Allison Treat. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash A-L-I-S-O-N-T-R-E-A-T. You can find that I offer some things. So someone was telling me recently at a soccer game, one of the mom, one of the other soccer moms listens to my podcast. Hi, Katie. Thanks for listening. And she mentioned one of the books that she was buying for her teenage niece. And I was immediately like, oh, no, 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 don't buy that one for your niece. So that just made me realize how needed my different tiers on Patreon are. Because if you go and you become a patron, I will give you the down low on the books. So I'm not saying that the book she wanted to give her niece was a bad book. It just probably wasn't exactly what a teenage girl wants to read. And that's the kind of thing that I will share with you in my video reviews of the books every month. So come check out my Patreon page and see if there's something that might interest you there. There is also a level which if you become a patron at that level, 
I will send you a book every month. And it's your choice of book from the authors that I've talked to. So go check out the Patreon page. See if you might like to become a patron. And um, join the Facebook group too. Also, of course, as I always tell you, go check out the show notes because there I link to Kim's books and um, some other things that, ha- that we've talked about too. So always check out the show notes because if you want to buy the book, you can get there from my show notes, which you can find at alisontreat.com slash blog. That's A-L-I-S-O-N-T-R-E-A-T dot com slash B-L-O-G. Okay, my friends, as always, I'm going to leave you with a quote. And this quote comes from Pandita Ramabai Saraswati, who is the woman Kim and I talked about in our interview, who is a um, one of the early early feminists, one of the Christian women who tried to bring about change in India. She said, "People must not only hear about the kingdom of God, but must see it in actual operation, on a small scale perhaps, and in imperfect form, but a real demonstration, nevertheless." So, my friends. Keep reading historical fiction and learning about real people in history, as well as real events and fictional characters. And I will talk to you again next week.